A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. George R.R. Martin Hey, my name is Zach and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople and the blue-collar middle class. I'm hoping to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. Well, I'm recording this thing last minute, the night before my release date, because I had saved the episode, or I thought I'd saved the episode to my computer, and it went through a reboot last night, so... Turns out I didn't save it. I lost everything that I had done, and so I'm trying to re-record this podcast in no time flat because the last thing I want to do is miss a week. So here goes. Now, in reference to that opening quote, it feels like I've lived multiple lifetimes waiting for George R.R. Martin to put out book six and seven of the Game of Thrones series because, you know, the TV show may have ended, but he's never actually put an end to the book series. We're still waiting on that. But anyway, that, that's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is just the accumulated time that's put into writing books and all these different perspectives that you can take from reading different authors. You can read about their full life's work in whatever piece of literature they've put together. Or in a lot of the books that I like to read, they are historically related or they're kind of psychological studies of different aspects of life. And so Within those books, especially kind of a scientific breakdown or a, a scientific book is just the idea that they have so many studies that also go into that book. So, you know, aside from the fact that maybe writing that book took them 10, 20, 30 years, however long it may take, whatever the accumulation of their life work is, they're also citing all these different sources that have taken other people their entire lifetime or their career to sort out those facts as well. So, I mean, some books you read, they may be the accumulation of 50, 60, anywhere up to 100 years worth of studying and knowledge and, you know, wisdom on that certain subject, but it can be broken into a digestible reading platform that maybe takes you, I don't know, 10 to 15 hours, however long the book is, but for you to be able to cram, basically, and just distill 100 years of progress and 100 years of knowledge into a 12-hour reading period is incredible. And that's kind of what I wanted to touch on this week is just the incredible value of books and the fact that I don't think they're marketed accurately to young people. I mean, I was never really drawn into reading as a high school kid. Like, I, I first got into reading actually the series of Unfortunate Events, which has since been turned into a Netflix series, and it's just a kid's book, but I got gripped by it when I was younger. And for that, I can really thank, you know, my mom for kind of instilling that love of reading at a very young age. It's something that I've kind of reawoken in the past couple of years and really started to pay more attention to. And then, you know, specifically since this whole COVID thing has happened and, you know, socially things have just gone off the rails, I'm just trying to read as much as I possibly can. And now aside from just the fact that you can learn different things, you can kind of shape or hear different perspectives through books, it's also been an incredible tool as far as just expanding my vocabulary. Like, I don't think that I realistically would have decided to make this podcast or even felt confident enough to 
speak into a microphone to, you know, whatever this audience becomes, if I didn't read so much over the past couple of years and really try to bring that into my life a lot more, to make an active effort to, you know, expand my vocabulary. Just the other big bonus that I've found from reading more is it it's really sharpened my working memory, kind of my active memory as I'm going along. You know, it, it gets sharpened through books, especially I find actually through fiction when you're trying to follow this complex story arc that has all these different characters and you have to keep track mentally kind of where all their storylines are going, how they cross over and just the different offshoots that they go down. So I've found that especially when it comes to doing the interview episodes, I'm just able to grasp a lot more of what's going on. I don't forget things as I'm running along nearly as often as I would before. You know, sometimes if an interview will go off the rails a little bit, I would lose track of how to bring it back back to the main kind of theme of the story or of the interview. But nowadays, I just find that it's a lot clearer for me to stay on path and to be able to, yeah, just kind of bring the bring the discussion back around to our main theme, no matter how many, you know, rabbit holes we fall down. That's really something that I attribute to reading, to being able to follow these complex storylines and just that working memory and trying to sharpen it, trying to get it as good as I possibly can to, again, funnel it into the podcast. Another incredibly useful tool of reading that I find, and this kind of goes back to Again, being able to read somebody's condensed life story and distill it down to a, a single novel or a, a series of books, whatever the case may be. It's just the fact that you're able to take their full life experience and whatever they have gone through, whatever adversity they've overcome in their life, you know, I'm able to glean from that what what may have taken them years or decades to figure out. I can read it in that book. And so whenever I encounter an obstacle or whatever that next task is that I may be struggling with, I'm able to draw on these different perspectives, these different people who have already gone through usually their their circumstances that are much tougher than what I'm facing. And it just gives you that little boost or that that little key that maybe it took them 10 years to find out the the key to get through this challenge. I've already got it because I spent, you know, the 10 hours reading whatever book they've written. And that's something that I've been able to apply directly again to this podcast. You know, this is something that I have zero experience in prior to this. This is just something that I took up as a hobby. I'm absolutely loving doing it. I have no intentions of stopping or slowing down here. Hence why I'm recording at 10 o'clock at night, the night before this thing is supposed to be released, because I do not want want to miss a week, right? So, but going back to these books, I mean... If they were able to make it through all those things and they were able to give me those lessons through the books that they've written, like I can apply those now to my life. I don't have to sit here struggling for 10 years, you know, and trying to figure out this key, trying to figure out the way to overcome this next obstacle. I've just read their book and now I feel like I'm capable of overcoming all of these different things based off of their life experience. And the other cool thing is like I had spoken about a couple of weeks ago now, is just who you surround yourself with, what type of perspectives or influences you want to have on your life. You know, by reading books and picking specific authors or specific periods of history to kind of focus in on, you can really pick what your influences are. And I mean, this can obviously go wrong if you're reading all the wrong influences or what what I would consider anyway the wrong influences. But 
It's something that you can really use to sharpen your argument or sharpen just your stance on any approach to life, really, whatever approach you'd like to take, like you can draw on some of the most incredible minds in, you know, all of history and try to incorporate them into whatever path you're moving forward with. Like it's a really great way to, you know, sharpen your path and just get those voices in your head that you're really looking for and search out those perspectives that you think will help you through life. And, you know, one of the struggles with even getting into reading is knowing where to start. Like, I really wish that when I was younger, I had a teacher who was able to kind of guide me in a direction of books that they kind of knew that I would be interested in. Because again, I didn't pick up this love for reading until just a couple years ago. Like, it was something that I had to actively seek out. I was looking for, you know, specific book recommendations by people that I admire in, in pop culture, in, you know, whatever frame of reference you're looking at. I finally found a couple of reading lists that I found really applied to me. And from there, I was able to branch off and find all these different books down different paths that I, I enjoyed that I feel like I really gained something from. And so maybe you've had a bad taste in your mouth from different reading in the past. I would encourage you to try to seek out something else. Try to look at, you know, try to get some author or some recommended reading list that you could go through. Because, you know, I mean, there is obviously a trade-off. Whenever you're going to invest time in books, it's A, it's the cost of buying or downloading the book. And then B, it's a good chunk of time that you're going to invest to try to read through this thing. And if you're not gaining anything from it or you're not gaining, you know, the proper trade-off, you don't feel like this is really worth it, the time that you're putting in and the money that you're paying out for it, then, you know, I would really suggest starting to find somebody that you admire, some author, some speaker, whatever, and see if they have a reading list, because then at least you kind of have a starting off point, And then you can kind of build from there as you start to get interested in reading again. Like that's what it took for me. And so today I figure, you know, if you like this podcast and if you kind of you resonate with the shit that I'm putting out there, I was going to kind of give you guys the five most influential books that I've read this year. And again, I'll just kind of reiterate what my pattern is for reading. I like to alternate fiction and nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction, back and forth. I find anyway that the fictional books, because they kind of have a deeper, cohesive storyline, that it really can keep me engaged. And if you're just getting back into reading, I would recommend starting with something fictional. Even if it's something that you've already read before, you know that you enjoy it, you're going to be able to devour it pretty quickly. It'll just kind of spark up that muscle memory when it comes to reading again. That's how I got engaged back into it and how I kind of keep going because some of the, you know, psychological study book, they're pretty dry. So sometimes, you know, I like to mix in fictional stories just to kind of keep the the juices flowing, keep the reading kind of flowing at a, a pretty decent pace because otherwise you get to get stalled up, hung up on a certain chapter where, you know, things are pretty dry you're not picking up a ton out of this specific area of the book, and then it's really easy to stall out. So sorry, getting back to these five books. Now, when I originally wrote this list, I came up with four books that were the most influential to me, but then I realized that I didn't have any of my fictional books on that list. And, you know, obviously, for me, I gain a lot more out of the historical books, as you're going to see in my list, but I wanted to throw in a really good fictional story that I, I really did I really did enjoy and that I, I was able to get through very quickly. It wasn't a long read or a difficult read by any means, but, you know, it, it really sparked a lot of 
thoughts and just concepts in my head. So I wanted to include that here as well. So anyway, I'm going to list off my top five here and then I'll go in depth on each one of them. Just just a couple minutes, just a kind of a little teaser. Maybe it'll spark you guys to seek out any of these books. I don't know. It's up to you. But so the first one was The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. Uh, the next was The Rape of Nanking by Iris Chang. Then I have Ordinary Men by Christopher R. Browning. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And finally, the one fictional book on this list is The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein. So the first book on that list, The Coddling of the American Mind, it's an incredibly in-depth look at specifically the way that social media is affecting us on a personal level, relationship-wise, and it also dives deeply into how it's affecting young people. So me, being a parent, I was incredibly interested in how this all has played out on the iPhone generation, iGen. I'm not sure if they coined that term in that book or not. I had never heard of it before, but I could be way off base in crediting it to them. But either way, it is incredible the depths that that book goes into. And this is another one that, you know, is directly related to that idea of lifetimes encapsulated in a 12-hour reading chunk. Like, this book is fairly quick. I'd say, you know, anywhere between 10 and 16 hours it's going to take you to read it. But it is so chock full of knowledge that is applicable to today. And again, having kids and, you know, whatever age your kids may be, or if you're just thinking of having kids one day, I could not recommend this book enough. Because growing up, I didn't have all these same pressures. And it goes into how it's affecting, you know, teenagers and college kids mentalities and all these different forces that they're that are at play in their life. And it was just incredibly invaluable to me moving forward as a parent. And again, that book, lifetimes of studies are put into that, you know, there's all these different papers that are cited. And this is something that we've never really dealt with before is these pressures of social media and all these different things, you know, getting dopamine hits from likes and shares and comments. It's all new. And so anything that you can kind of pull out of literature to kind of help you tackle this in your own life or in your kids' lives, it is so beneficial. So that is one book that I could not recommend enough. Now, the next book I'll get into is, again, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert A. Heinlein. Now, this book my wife actually got it for me for Christmas. And speaking of reading lists, this is what she did. And she knows me pretty damn well. Like, you know, I've, I've talked about that before. It's the real benefit of having that really close relationship, that marriage, you know, despite opening yourself up to all types of possible pain in the future and in the present, whatever the case may be, the upsides far outweigh the risks. So anyway, she knows me really well. And so she went to Elon Musk's reading list. And this book was pretty high up there, it sounds like. And it's a really cool story kind of set on a futuristic backdrop of where the moon is basically inhabited by humans. And but they're kind of almost like a secondary subservient society to Earth, basically just mining minerals and shit and sending it back to Earth. And it's essentially a slave society, right? They're second class citizens. But it really touches on the depths and the core values of kind of the libertarian movement, which so obviously I'm going to be drawn to it. And if it's something that you're interested in, I recommend reading it because it has a really incredible storyline. It's a great, it's kind of, it just takes you through this great journey of all these different characters. You know, you've got people kind of at the fringes of both political sides from like anarchists to pacifists and how it all gets 
worked out and formed into this alliance. And it's just, it's incredible the way they kind of amalgamate all these different concepts and ideas into just the idea of civil liberties and civil freedoms. So that book I could not recommend enough. Again, it's a pretty quick read and it just, it flows. Like that story is clean, it's sharp. I couldn't recommend it enough. Now these last three books, I'm going to go through them one by one, but they all have a very common theme. They all take place between roughly 1937 and 1945. Again, as I've talked about many times on this podcast, I'm a bit of a history junkie, specifically 20th century, anything relating to World War II, I'm fascinated with. I'm going to be spending, again, probably 85% of my time reading about this time period and these subjects. So in no given order, the first one is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Now, Viktor Frankl was an Austrian Jewish psychiatrist. And he obviously got swept up as the Nazi war machine rolled on. He got swept up into the death camps. Now, he visited, I believe it was five or six different camps, you know, all the way from Auschwitz-Birkenau to Treblinka. Like, he... He went through all these different areas, through the ghettos, and somehow miraculously survived. And not only that, he really gained some incredible insight going through that, just witnessing what the human being is capable of and how you're able to deal with absolutely catastrophic events unfolding all around you. You know, the the fact that the fact that he was able to struggle and grow through these places of absolute depravity and mistreatment and just the most heinous aspects of humanity you could possibly imagine is incredible and the fact that he also has this background as a psychiatrist he's able to actually diagnose things as he's going along he also plays a role as a camp doctor it's it's incredible it's one of the most inspiring and I don't know just it's one of the most monumental books that I've ever read as far as how people can just persevere through the most difficult of circumstances and come out honestly better on the other side of it despite all the suffering that they've gone through and again if that book is dark these next two are also just as dark if not darker so the next one in this chunk of you know World War II time time frame is Ordinary Men by Christopher R. Browning Now, this book follows the 101st Reserve Police Battalion that was formed basically behind the combat troops of the Nazi war machine. So what these guys were is a group of, you know, middle-aged 30 to 45 men from Germany and the surrounding areas that, you know, they were salesmen, they were tradespeople, you had blue-collar, white-collar. They were basically drawn into the war effort because Germany started to realize They were losing, or at least they faced the prospect of losing. But they did not want to give up on their final solution of exterminating as many Jews as they possibly could. So behind this front-line offense that they were marching with their soldiers, they started to recruit what they would call, air quote, police battalions. And these, again, these were made up of reserve police, of just everyday people, everyday guys, and they were brought into the Nazi death machine to basically clean up the streets behind the advancing German soldiers. So what they would do, they would round up all the prisoners in the ghettos, ship them off to death camps, or they would commit massacres themselves. And 
the key thing in this book and what is so incredibly interesting, I mean, it's heartbreaking and it's a really good study of group psychology, is the fact that you had these guys who were in their 30s and 40s who had fully formed opinions kind of before the Nazis took power in Germany. Like these guys weren't Nazi youth or people who were brainwashed through the system to come up in that in that era, that in that indoctrination. These guys were your everyday average Joes. And they were still able to get compressed and coerced into participating in these horrific events. And so despite not coming up in this brainwashed system, still roughly 85% of this battalion committed complete atrocities against the Jewish people. You know, they took part in shootings or in herding people into the cattle cars to basically ship them off to these death camps. They knew what they were doing. They knew what the end destination was for these people. But the way that they were able to justify it and internalize it is, A, it's frightening, but B, it should serve as a very obvious, like, bright neon flashing lights warning to what happens if you just kind of move along with society's norms and you let yourself kind of get just nudged, like that morality just gets nudged a little bit out of the way, a little bit out of the way, until all of a sudden you're neck deep in the shit that you thought was horrendous. And so... This book, it just really, it solidifies that idea that you need to stand up to the crowd sometimes. Like, just because this whole herd is running off of a cliff doesn't mean you can't notice what's going on and try to stop it. Or just take your own personal responsibility and take yourself out of that situation. So this book is absolutely incredible. It's chock full of, like, useful information for nowadays. It's a book that I'd recommend to anybody who is thinking about going into policing or really into anything just any line of work anything you're going into this is a great book especially dealing with all the societal pressures and the movements that are going on today this book could not be more poignant in my opinion and now this last book does tie directly into again ordinary men it almost flips it on its head a little bit so this one is the rape of nanking by iris chang this takes a very harsh and realistic look at what was the Japanese imperialist idea and their ideology and how they really did view themselves as a superior race in World War II it, within Asia. And it's just, it is a brutal read. I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. This is one of the hardest books that I've ever read in my entire life. But it just takes a look at how people are just indoctrinated and then all it takes is a nudge to push you over the edge to commit, again, some of the most heinous things that are ever written on paper and realistically, they, they should have been written in a lot more places. This story has been shoved underneath the rug internationally, you know, here at home. I had no idea about any of this stuff going on when we started to learn about World War II in high school. And so it's something that you really have to actively seek out. This book was so heavy that Iris Chang ended up committing suicide years after finishing it. If that doesn't, if that doesn't hammer home really the effects and the weight of this book. I don't know what else will, but it is incredible and it is stark. It's scary. It's it's a horrifying read, but it, it really does bring to light some of the darkest areas in humanity. And for whatever reason, we're drawn to it. I mean, I'm drawn to it as well. It's something that I like to kind of keep in the forefront of my mind what people are capable of. And it's something that, you know, obviously in pop culture, we're all obsessed with. I mean, the serial killer documentaries, the slasher flicks, all this stuff, like people are drawn to the darkness for whatever reason. And it's something that I like to 
pay close attention to. I like to keep in mind that it's out there, especially with kids. I mean, it's not something that I scare myself half to death into a, being a helicopter parent, but it's something that I need to be aware of in life. And sorry, now in contrast within this same book, and going back to kind of the Nazi theme from Ordinary Men, there's one person who stands out. Well, there's actually about a group of four or five that are mentioned by name in the book, and they really go in depth on. But one of them is John Rabe, who worked for Siemens. You know, they manufacture electrical panels now. It's yeah, it's Siemens. You'll see it everywhere. But this guy, John Rabe, was a full-fledged Nazi, like armband and everything. And this guy helped set up the international safety zone within Nanking in Manchuria, China. And to this day, there is a building there with a st- and a statue erected in front of it of John Rabe. This guy shielded so many just Chinese residents, Chinese civilians from some of the most heinous deaths in history. And he did all he could to protect as many people as he could, along with the rest of the International Safety Committee. They, the sacrifices that they were willing to undertake and the harm that they put themselves directly in the way of between the Chinese civilians and the Japanese soldiers is, it's incredible. It is such a good read and their stories are so inspiring. Just what they were able to stand in the way of, despite whatever their backgrounds were. I mean, you had Americans there, Brits and then this Nazi, and they all work together for the betterment of the people that were around them. You know, they really, their morals shone through despite whatever other stuff or other darkness they may have going on with them. Now that closes kind of my list of top five books. That's by no means a definitive list. I have way more books that I could get into. Another one that kind of just missed the cut, but it just didn't have, I mean, it has an an incredible impact. I'm not going to say anything I'm not going to say anything degrading about this book is the Gulag Archipelago that goes into just the rolling machine and that ever swallowing net that the communist um, revolution really swallowed up in the Soviet Union. It is an incredible read as well. And it's again, it's kind of a harsh warning to anything that could be happening in the future. But again, Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn is incredible as well. I'm just not going to go into it as in-depth this podcast episode. Didn't want to get it to be too long. And since I'm recording it for the second time, I'm trying to hammer through this thing as fast as I can. So in keeping with the themes of the 20th century of history books and why I find them very applicable, you know, George Santayana said it best. He said, those who don't know history are destined to repeat it, or at least he's credited with that original quote. It's been taken, kind of snippeted and recirculated a few times by different people in, in history, but he's credited with the original version of that. And so how can books relate to different areas of our life? Now, this one I think is pretty obvious, so that's why I've kind of left it to the last two minutes of the podcast episode. It's because, you know, you can find a book on any aspect of life that you're wanting to work on. You know, be that kids, be that with your romantic partners, be that at work, or, you know, if you really like self-help and motivator books, if you find that gets your juices flowing for work, go seek out those books. But really, it comes down to whatever you're into. But you can find a book and an author and a perspective that will help help you in whatever endeavors you're looking for for guidance in. So I really, I couldn't recommend it enough. Start with with a fictional story, something that maybe you've read before, you know you enjoy, something to really start start triggering those muscles again, those, those reading muscles. And 
Really, you have no idea how far it can take you. I mean, I feel like I've gained so much over this past year and a half, two years, just from trying to dive back into books. It's been incredible. It's something that I, I credit this podcast to because I don't think that I would have, I just wouldn't have enough perspective to even feel like talking about anything to anybody because all of the, this these books and just reading different things, different stories from different times, like it just gets you thinking, right? It gets you wanting to engage with people, to talk about larger ideas. And it's something that I think we really need to start bringing back in society. I mean, we have all this all this different technology right at our fingertips, all these different forms of entertainment or just distractions that get in the way of our everyday life all the time. And if we can like swap some of that time out to read and try to get more in-depth knowledge, try to question things a little bit more, I think it's just going to be to the benefit of you individually, but also to those around you, to the grander society. I don't think there's any drawbacks to it. So again, sorry if this episode sounds a little bit choppy. I, I'm literally running this in one cut, so I don't have time to really chop it together. I'm going to add the music at the beginning, add the music at the end, and boom, it's posted. So thank you guys so much for listening. Again, if this one's a little bit choppy, I'm sorry about that. I will work on it next week, and that is going to be the last time ever that I don't save a project in the middle of working on it. All right, everybody, that's it for today. I hope you found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, review, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. I really appreciate all the feedback you have given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you all again soon.